Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, ladies and gentlemen, long distance. I believe he's down in Utah right now. And we want to wish him and his family the very, very best. Here we go with the world-famous Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? I am great, but first and foremost, uh, I hope all is going better for your daughter. Oh, yeah, doing good. This new baby is, oh, gosh, almost three weeks old and growing and eating and doing all the stuff that a little baby does. And I hope, I really hope that that little baby doesn't look like you. (laughs) (laughs) We can all hope that, right? Uh, Dr. History, I want you to know that you and your family are very, very special to us, and uh, you're down there visiting your daughter, and you could have said, Zeb, I can't be on the program, but it meant a lot to me that you would still fill this time with an interesting segment, and all that being said, we really appreciate you, but what are we going to talk about this morning? I'm going to talk about a guy that is well-known throughout the history of the Old West, guy by the name of Samuel Colt. Oh, yes. Samuel Colt. Now, there was a common saying in Texas back then, and here's what it said, quote, God made some men big and some men small, but Colonel Sam Colt made them equal all. Hmm. So, when you talk about the gun being the equalizer, it certainly was. Uh, but Colt's inventions, uh, really, the first practical Revolving firearms were really connected a lot with Texas. I mean, when you think of Texas and the Colt, yeah, they, they were pretty pretty closely related. And, of course, the rugged individuals who settled the Wild West, all those, you know, Colt was their gun. But even as a new breed of men came out of age and readied themselves to conquer the frontiers, so did Colt's vision come to pass to provide them with the very best tool he could do or come up with, and the revolver was so important to the winning of the West that it has remained a symbol of power and individuality more than a century later. When we think of the Old West, you got to think of a pistol, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, it all started with the quick mind and the clever hands of a young boy back in the East. He was born in July of 1814 in Hartford, Connecticut, so Samuel Colt was the fourth of five children born to Sarah and Christopher Colt. Well, his mom died in 1821, and the children were sent to live with various relatives and farmers in the area. Samuel went to farm uh, to a farm of somebody in Glastonbury, Connecticut. Uh, you know, not really a servant, but you know, had to. They took care of the kids, basically. Anyway, America's active participation in the Industrial Revolution kind of sparked young Sam's interest in machinery. And so he began to kind of tinker. Uh, And legend has it that in his early years, he took apart his father's old horse pistol and put it all back together perfectly. And for three years, he worked in a silk mill. And he was watching the newly designed machines do what had had been done by a housewife. So he paid particular attention to uh, the division of labor as each person performed a specific task. He also began experimenting with gunpowder with uh, the factory's chemical specialist. 
And so in 1828 or 29, he enrolled at a place called the Amherst Academy, but he soon got into trouble for shooting off his horse pistol. So I guess you could say he was a little bit of a uh, rebel in school. But anyway, Colt's first experiment that uh, we take note of as an inventor came about on the 4th of July in 1829. He passed out a handbill uh, advertising that he'd, quote, blow a raft sky high on Ware Pond. That's what it said. So his idea was to illustrate the effectiveness of submarine explosives. He used hard cloth to wrap the wire carrying the electric charge to the explosives. Well, the raft didn't blow quite sky high, but the explosion sent a geyser of mud and water into the air, covering nearly all of the spectators who gathered to see this great experiment. And a young engineer named Elisha Root saved Colt from the angry mob. So if you can picture this, they're all standing around this little pond, and it blows up, and they all get covered with mud and dirt and water. So they weren't real happy with, the, with Samuel Colt at that point. But on August 2nd, 1830, young Sam sent sail on a ship as a crew member. And his intention was to, to become a navigator and a ship's officer. Now, during the voyage, uh, Colt uh, whittled away at a wooden model of a pistol with a revolving six-cylindered chamber. And legend has it that he was inspired by watching the captain steering the ship with the, the big wheel. But the revolving cylinder had actually been used before in England in 1813. So he really wasn't the first. But uh, anyway, what made Colt's model uh, unique was that he transposed the ship's pawl and ratchet. And I'm still not exactly sure what that is. But he looked at that and he transposed that to his revolving pistol. And each serving the same purpose on a miniature scale. And what happens is that the pawl rotates the cylinder while the hammer was being cocked, and the ratchet held the cylinder in place when the weapon was fired. So anyway, that's where he kind of got an idea about this revolving cylinder. But anyway, on returning, uh, Colt had a full-scale model of both a pistol and a rifle that he'd whittled and made, and with his newly designed weapons and a letter of introduction from his dad, he approached the U.S. Commissioner of Patents in Washington, but the commissioner thought the guns were too crude, and he recommended they be locked up secretly in the patent office until their design was perfected a little better. So he didn't really trust this, this gun. So anyway, Colt spent the next two years going through a succession of three different gunsmiths as he attempted to improve his, his design. And to pay for his gunsmithing fees, he toured the eastern seaboard with a, quote, laughing gas show he put together. And I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but evidently they had some laughing gas. They would, uh, I don't know, people would smell it or whatever and cause them to laugh. I, I don't know. But the show was popular with the public and actually quite profitable for Colt. But anyway, finally in the summer of 1835, Colt applied for a patent on his much-improved pistol design. And confident that he would receive the American patent, he then set sail for England and France and where he applied for and for and received patents over there hmm. before he got any over here in America. I didn't know that. Now, on February, on February 25th, 1836, Polk received the American patent on his revolver, and shortly afterward he opened the Patent Arms Manufacturing Company 
at Patterson, New Jersey. Now, let me interrupt and ask a question, Dr. History. Let me ask you a question right there. Up to that point, everything in firearms was deemed uh, basically a uh, ball and powder and single-shot type weapon, right? Right, yes. Yeah, so there really hadn't been anything uh, repeating type rifles or, or pistols uh, up until then. Right. As far as I know. Okay. So, but his, Colt's first model actually was a five-shot, thirty-four caliber revolver with a trigger that disappeared when not in use. He appropriately named this the Patterson, and it really didn't sell very well. And the U.S. Army Ordnance Department turned it down. They thought it was too fragile for military use. But in 1837, Colt received an order for 100 of his repeating rifles to be used by the Army in Florida when they were fighting the Seminole War. But uh, by this time, samples of Colt's work had filtered into Texas, which had just won its independence from Mexico, and the Patterson soon became the favorite weapon of the Texas Rangers and the Texas Navy. Well, controversy still exists over whether Captain Samuel H. Walker of the Texas Rangers actually did visit Colt in New York as early as 1839 to suggest improvements on the Patterson, but Colt fired a patent on August 29, 1839, for a loading lever for the newly modified Patterson. And he issued the weapon in 1840 officially, and he called uh, the Model 5, uh, but known on the frontier as either the Texas Patterson or the Walker Patterson. So that was kind of the initial first uh, names of the, some of the first pistols that he put out there. Now, while the frontiersman was happy with his new weapon, uh, manufacturers and industrialists in the East were more interested in how it was being produced. Well, Colt's uh, Patterson factory was the first to mass-produce interchangeable parts. Now, remember, that uh, a lot of the older rifles, you know, if you had one, it didn't necessarily interchange with another one. Right. So right. if you had a, something that broke down or whatever, you may not be able to get a, a, another part for it. So anyway, they were pretty amazed with the assembly line procedure, uh, with trained personnel that made final inspection of the product. And so manufacturers and inventors were uh, uh, pretty excited by Colt's accomplishments. And, of course, this was way before the Model T Ford, you know, assembly line. But uh, his system could be used to manufacture other products as well. So Colt's line of firearms seemed uh, uh, kind of doomed uh, to failure because sales dwindled, and actually he went into bankruptcy in 1842. But that all is going to change, as you'll hear in a bit. Uh, for the next four years, Colt experimented on a number of inventions, which never really quite uh, reached the success of his pistols. Among these were a waterproof tinfoil cartridge, he actually invented an underwater mine system for harbor defense and underwater batteries. But it was at this time that Colt became acquainted with Samuel Morris, you know, the Morris Code guy. Mm -hmm. And Colt's underwater battery system was actually invaluable in Morris's development of the telegraph cable. But it took the Mexican War and the Texas Rangers to put Colt back in the field he loved so dearly, which was manufacturing uh, firearms. But uh, anyway, Colt uh, pistols used by the Texas Rangers uh, attached to General Zachary Taylor's unit was so effective that Captain Jack Hayes got the general to order more of them. 
and they sent Captain Samuel Walker to Colt with the order. So he redesigned the revolver with some suggestions from Walker. The result was a huge, I guess this up, a five-pound, 15-inch, 44-caliber weapon. Now, that's, that's a pretty heavy gun. Uh, but according to Texas Rangers who used it, it was a good gun. It was capable of killing an enemy at a, over a quarter of a mile distance. Could you imagine... Can you imagine five-pound gun and the recoil on that gun and then also packing that on your hip all day long? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty heavy gun, really. But it was called the Walker Colt uh, in honor of the ranger who helped uh, make it. And that's the very first time it started to be called a six-shooter. That was the beginning of that term. But it was also the gun that started Colt on a long ride of government contracts for his firearms, which continued on even past his death. And since Colt had no factory of his at this time, he persuaded Eli Whitney Jr., who manufactured the cotton gin, to produce the weapons at his plant in Whitneyville, Connecticut. So each pistol was stamped with the mark Samuel Colt, New York. Well, Colt lost money on the deal, but... The thousand Walker Colts he sent to the Rangers kind of made his reputation with them. The Rangers conquered the West, and when Captain Walker was killed, he had in his hand the uh, the Walker Colt in his hand. But anyway, in the meantime, Colt began construction of his own factory in Hartford, Connecticut, and in one of the most important moves of his career, he hired this partner, Elisha Root, as head superintendent to design and construct the new armory, and uh, Colt just continued selling. He, he didn't want to be that much involved in the production, but he really enjoyed selling his guns. Now, while the Walker Colt proved an effective weapon, it was too bulky to carry, as I mentioned, five pounds. But Colt received requests for a lighter belt model, and by trimming it down the, the frame, in early 1848, Colt produced what he called the improved holster model. Now, this was still a 44 cal- caliber, and it became known as the Dragoon Colt, with only some minor changes in design, and it remained the standard sidearm of the U.S. Army until the Civil War. And he actually sold over 200,000 guns over wow. a 20-year period. Wow. But uh, the only other popular revolver Colt produced before the Civil War was what they called the Navy model. It's a 36 caliber. And they used that, uh, the, the sailors and one thing or another, but... The decade from 1846 uh, 56 made Samuel Colt a millionaire and really an industrialist in America. His employees were the best-paid factory workers in the country, and his weapons had gained a reputation for being accurate, reliable, sturdy, well-crafted. But Colt's patent ran out in 1857, and by 1858, with the introduction of the metal cartridge, and actually uh, the metal car- cartridge was kind of thought to be a fad at the time, which, of course, we realize now is the best thing that ever happened. But uh, he started facing some competition at that time with Smith & Wesson, Sharps, and Henry, who also at that time were coming into the firearms field. But uh, uh, anyway, by 1860, the war between the North and the South was unavoidable, and so uh, Colt and his partner, Ruth, began designing a new Colt pistol, And although each new revolver was greeted with enthusiasm, all Colt really did was kind of just make it a little smaller 
and less cumbersome. And in the case of the 1860 Army revolver, Coke saw the need for a cavalry uh, weapon. And so he actually uh, introduced uh, a smaller Army model in 1860 and manufactured over 200,000 of those. Now, Coke, uh, he was a kind of a patriotic guy, but he was a businessman first, and he filled orders for both sides of the Civil War, uh, but uh, he wasn't... Uh, to, uh, he, he kind of opposed Lincoln's election, but uh, he did supply the Union with uh, guns, pistols, uh, and muskets during the Civil War. But, uh, you know, his, his public life was really successful, but his uh, private life was a little bit different. Uh, he met a gal by the name of Caroline Henshew in 1835 when he was in England, and he married her, but... By 1841, she mysteriously kind of faded from Colt's life and became, get this, the girlfriend of his brother, John. Oh, my oh, goodness. <laughs> little, uh, but then he decided to move on. He married a gal by the name of Elizabeth Jarvis in 1856, and apparently she was much better suited to Colt than his first wife, and it was she who inherited the bulk of his estate when he died. So Elizabeth may have been the only good thing to happen in Colt's private life, but, you know, problems mounted over the years. As manager of a Colt plant, his brother was kind of lazy and incompetent, and then there was a suicide as well as a murder in the family, and there was a little question about an illegitimate son. Uh, so their private life was, like say, a little uh, questionable, but uh, the best key to his character comes from his, his, what his brother said. Uh, he said that Colt if I can't be first, I won't be second in anything. But Colt had been a workaholic all of his life, uh, constantly greeting dignitaries from all over the world. And a lot of times he would actually make a custom-made uh, pistol for these dignitaries that would be coming around. So there's actually out there some very original, one-of-a-kind pistols that were made by Colt. So anyway, uh, he kind of turned things over to his partner by the name of Root. And he started getting sick, and uh, uh, by January of 1862, he kind of went down for the last time. And so he died at the age, young age, of 47. But his funeral was one of the most celebrated uh, in the nation's history. His estate was valued at $15 million. Wow. Now, $15 million back then, that was a pretty hefty sum. Mm-hmm. But he left his wife and family well provided for. He didn't leave the, see the invention of the six-gun that would become synonymous with his name, the Colt 45 Peacemaker. So that actually came after he died, uh, and it went out for sale in 1873, and he died in 1861. But, uh, you know, he was a proud, stubborn, far-sighted man. Samuel Colt was one of the most important inventors and manufacturers that come on the scene of the 19th century in America. His accomplishments in the field of mass production set the country on a course that would make it an industrial giant in the world by the end of the 19th century. But it was Colt's development of the modern-day revolver that made him a legend in the American West. Let me ask you one quick question. I've only got a minute left, and I want to ask you this. Is there any truth from your research that when you cock a Colt pistol, it goes click, 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 
click. There are four clicks. Does that represent, as I heard in the story that I've heard, that uh, the four clicks represent the number of letters in Colt's last name? You know, I have not heard that. I I don't know that. Uh, that, that that's an interesting question, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's something for you to research and maybe uh, have for next week, because I've heard that story from others that when you cock a Colt pistol, it goes, and I've got one, it goes one, two, three, four clicks, and they say those clicks are all synonymous with the four letters representing Colt's last name. That could very well be. Uh, might be just coincidence or uh, I'll see what I can find out about that. All right. Well, listen, I am out of time. I, again, want to extend the very best to you and your family. God's blessings. And we will see you next week. Thank you, Dr. History. All right. You have a good day. We'll see you. God bless you, man. Thanks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.